Hello, it's nearly midsummer here in the hemisphere of Shattered Dreams, which, if I've read my hedges correctly, can mean only one thing. An episode of The Bugle is about to start in 10, 9, 8, start larynx, 6, 5, 4, begin writing process, 2, 1, blast off! <laughs> Hello Buglers, and welcome to issue 4267 of The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual and, dare I say, extremely f***ing stupid world. I'm Andy Zaltzman, the voice of a generation. Sorry, not the voice of a generation, the voice of degeneration. My mistake. And joining me today, (laughs) back on the right side of the equator where the water goes down the plug hole instead of spurting upwards into the nearest tap. Here in London, it's Alice Fraser. Welcome back, Alice. Welcome back to the north. I mean, it's so exciting to be here, despite not getting uh, free B-days on command. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You just got to marry the right people, actually. I mean, Um, this is the problem with London in summer, is it's deceptively nice, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it it, it traps you in. Also joining us, uh, stepping into the breach at the last minute after our uh, scheduled guest, a showbiz legend, no less, star of stage and screen, had to drop out. What a well, we will try to get Sarah Bernhardt on in a future week if she gets better. <laughs> uh, but we got the nearest like-for-like replacement we could find for a second consecutive episode from Mumbai, India. It's Anuvab Pal. Uh, Anuvab, Hello. welcome and thank you for leaping into action. It's no problem, Andy. I'm considered Sarah Bernhardt of Calcutta, so that's what <laughs> that's I'm often often known as that. Um, <laughs> I have to tell you guys, I don't know if you've heard, but there is a massive cyclone that's headed towards India and Pakistan. Oh. Um, it's uh, it's going to hit us in a couple of days. Pretty big one. Uh, and the BBC have been reporting it quite objectively. And it's really unfortunate because I thought after the BBC's run-in with the Indian Prime Minister, you think that they would have learned their lesson, right? I mean, one thing I know about the BBC is they're very, very biased about cyclones. <laughs> so what they're saying is that the cyclone is moving towards Karachi, Pakistan, and the state of Gujarat in India as one of the largest cyclones the Arabian Sea has ever seen, right? Yeah. Uh, why can't they just state the facts, Andy? Okay. And the facts are the cyclone is moving away from India because it is afraid of India's power on the world stage. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And, and also, the Prime Minister has just announced that he will personally fly into the storm with a sword and slate, which the BBC is not reporting. Right. Okay, and you know what that is, Andy yeah. Alice? It's bias. That's absolutely right. Well, thank you for 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 setting us right. I will pass that on to my uh, my producers at the BBC to, uh, to feed up the food chain. And I will tell the Western pundits to begin preparing their thoughts and prayers. Uh, the most effective form of disaster yep. response. <laughs> well, so we'll send them send them in advance. Um, you know that's because we tend to wait until afterwards. But you know, get them going early. We are recording on the 13th of June, 2003. Tomorrow, the 14th of June, is the 201st anniversary of Charles Babsy Babbage outlining plans for a difference engine in an academic paper to the Royal Astronomical Society. Now uh, now regarded as um, one of the world's first and most influential mechanical computers and a stepping stone to the v- development of its modern successors, such as the Sega Mega Drive, the iPhone and the CompuTurtle, the ocean-going computer that works out what's happening underwater. But Babbage actually inv- intended the difference engine to be a machine capable of automatically writing observational stand-up. The um, 16-time <laughs> British boffin of the year spent tens of thousands of pounds of 19th century government money developing the difference engine, but all it could come up with was that cats were different from dogs because they didn't wag their tails in the same way, and that men were different from women because men had jobs and fought in wars, and women often died in childbirth and weren't allowed to go to university. They were sound observations, (laughs) but not laugh-out-loud funny. And after he died on his ass telling an audience at Jongleur's Bow in 1834 that horses were different from sharks because they could stand up unaided, he readapted his machine to perform mathematical calculations instead. Anyway, 201 years ago, Charles Babbage's difference engine was uh, outlined in that academic paper. On the 15th of June, 1878, Edward Maybridge took a series of photographs which proved, contrary to popular belief, that when a horse runs, all four of its feet are off the ground. Not all the time, obviously, but in between touching the ground. There are times when a horse is not connected to the surface 
of the earth. Uh, it had previously been assumed before uh, Maybridge's work that horses kept one foot on the ground at all times, probably out of superstition, because a horse legend had it that an ancient horse king, Samarkand Nigel, once lifted all four hooves on the ground and was plucked away by a passing albatross. Horses um, were then thought to run with their rear le left leg dragging along the ground until Maybridge uh, proved that the cheeky little bastards were cheating, probably to fix bets by lifting their feet up. Maybridge's pioneering work to uh, show how the body moves also encompassed numerous action shots of humans and other animals, including a naked man cooking potato dauphinoise while rocking out to some Vivaldi, a woman in a jockstrap <laughs> hammering a carrot into a pillow, a goat drinking beer out of a teapot, and a footballer flobbing into a bucket. Anyway, that uh, influential <laughs> series of photographs was, well, what is it now, 145 years ago in two days' time. As always, a section of the Buglers going straight in the bin. Uh, this week, as we, we're sweltering here in London, I mean, it's been... You got twenty-seven degrees, uh, Alice from Australia, uh, Anivab from India. I mean, can you imagine what such oppressive heat is is like to have to live with? I can't imagine what such oppressive heat is like to live with in a place that is completely uh, constructed contrary to he heat. <laughs> <laughs> Every building here is built to like keep heat in against the horrible dank winters, and so you, it's it, it, it's like walking into an oven. I, I, I remember, I mean, in Australia, I don't know, in Australia, uh, one of the things you do if it's a very hot day, and I know this is awful, is you walk past like a Westfield or something and you step into the Westfield and it's crispy cool, you get a little bit of cool on you and then you go back about your business. I remember walking into a, a mall in the UK and it being hotter than it was outside <laughs> and feeling genuinely affronted, like on a human rights level. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of the many ways we like to make ourselves more miserable in this country. That's what keeps us happy. There, there are lessons from India one can take from the 1980s, Andy, about okay. heat. Um, you know, when India didn't have a lot of air conditioners in, in the good old days, um, you could just walk down the street and ask a good Samaritan just to throw a bucket of water at you. Um, it's a tradition that has died now because of Samsung and other electronics companies. But it was, you know, you'd often see completely drenched people walking down the street at 40 degrees because you could just ask someone on the road to just take water of a tubular <laughs> and just smash it in your face. <laughs> Again, well, it, cultural exchange, cultural exchange. Well, there's a very interesting sort of arc of human experience that happens when it's hot in the UK, which is uh, day one of sunshine, everybody immediately strips off and lies on like the verge in the middle of the road <laughs> to just suck up as much sun as they possibly can into their pasty white bodies. Uh, and then by day three, they are... Itchy and angry. <laughs> so much rage. It's the rage of second day sunburn. Uh, you yeah. know, by the end of the week, there's something satisfactory about peeling, but it's that yeah. middle place where there's just so much rage floating around well, the air. Ambient that, rage. That's. I mean, that's interesting because the the um, the Brexit referendum was in the middle of summer, and yeah. that was on a Thursday. So we hadn't. Yeah, we'd probably been out <laughs> getting angry in the sun. <laughs> then we voted sunburnt on Thursday and changed the course of our national history. Lessons to be learned. Anyway, um, uh, our section in the bin this week is build your own weather forecast. We give you all the words you need to construct the weather forecast you want to hear. This week's words and phrases, and there'll be more over the, the following uh, thousand weeks on the Bugle. This week's words and phrases for your weather forecast. Cloudy, warmer, front, will, will not, surprise. What do you call a sheep that has the same atmospheric pressure as itself? Sunnier than it looks. <laughs> Quit your whinging. It's better than Antarctica this time of year. Intermittent. Absolutely shitting it down. Fahrenheit, of course. Otherwise, you'd literally boil to death like an egg. And isobar. <laughs> uh, that section in the bin. Uh, also in the bin. After a poll revealed that uh, a quarter of the population of the UK thinks COVID was a hoax, we look at other great British delusions in this new poll. 17% of people in this country think cabbages contain a mind-reading microchip that once ingested sends your entire internet history direct to the Ministry of Thought. 12.4% think Queen Elizabeth is still alive and running a covert operation smuggling penguins into Britain to be used as doner kebabs. And that's Elizabeth I, by the way, not Elizabeth II. She wouldn't <laughs> stoop so low. And 39% uh, think Paddington Bear wields way too much influence in this country. They might be onto something there. Those sections in the bin. <laughs> Top story this week. Uh, 
Bugle Global Horn Dogs update. And, well, it's been an exciting week for some of the great political horn dogs of our era. Uh, we will come to a horn dog who has sadly departed us, uh, the original Bugle Horn Dog extraordinaire, uh, Silvio Berlusconi, who has uh, sadly gone to the great Bunga Bunga party in the sky. Um, but let's start <laughs> with Britain's own. Trainee Berlusconi, uh, Boris Johnson, former Prime Minister, has quat as an MP. The uh, former PM who put the liar into national liability has jumped <laughs> before he could be pushed with the release, the impending release of a um, parliamentary report into his conduct. And it's becoming one of the traditional sounds of the British summer, isn't it? The splash of vomit on pavement outside nightclub, the tinkle of waz on bus stop, the gurgle of intergenerational suspicion, the fizz, crackle, bang of firework between football supporters' arse cheeks, the screaming argument about whether Brexit was right or wrong, whether it's real or pretend, and whether we should or should not stop having screaming arguments about it, and the Boris Johnson resignation statement. These are the unchangeables of a modern British summer. He quit the Cabinet in 2018, he quit as Prime Minister in summer 2022, and now he has quit as a member of Parliament. That's quite aside from other subsidiary resignations, sackings, flounce-offs, stroppatures and whinge-outs that have marked his career. I mean, how has this news been reported across uh, our former uh, imperial colleagues, uh, <laughs> colleague countries? Because, I mean, I think it's fair to say that as a nation, 99.99% of Britain has frankly had enough of the stupid I mean, it's sort of, it's so interesting the way that he quit, Andy. I think it's the, the way that he quit is sort of the, the, so you can't fire me, I rage quit, flounce out of outery, <laughs> uh, which seems to have not achieved the end that he intended it to, which was that he hoped that by doing that, he would stop the party gate inquiry. And despite that, his statement uh, that it was like a witch hunt and he has been forced out. Uh, and also you should stop inquiring. Um, <laughs> it looks like the inquiry is still going to go on. It I just, it does find it's hard to convincingly call call something a witch hunt if you're cackling over a cauldron wearing a pointy hat. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, he said some fairly extraordinary things. He, he described the Privileges Committee, which is in, investigating his uh, uh, his actions, as, quotes, a kangaroo court. And you as an Australian, Alice, I've no doubt you find this very <laughs> insulting, given that the average kangaroo has an attention to statistical detail far in excess of anything Boris Johnson has ever shown, not to mention a greater propensity to speak in truths. So, also a very ethical meat. All, all kangaroo is wild culled in Australia, so it's right. uh, one of the more ethical meats you can consume. And I right. don't think Boris Johnson, were you to eat him, would be. <laughs> <laughs> well, well that's an I hadn't thought of it in that way. Um I mean, are you suggesting we breed free-range Boris Johnsons for food? <laughs> well, he's trying, isn't okay. he? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, and Ivab, what about in 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 India? Because he, I mean, he's 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 obviously got a kind of global profile in India, and we've talked about this on the Bugle before. He kind of he he cycled around Mumbai on a tiny little bicycle. Was it a tricycle at one point? I can't quite remember. It was it was a tricycle, Andy. Um, he's quite popular here. He's uh, after losing several jobs, he's come here as a corporate speaker. Uh, he's quite popular on the lecture circuit in India. But the two things that have been playing on Indian TV uh, the last couple of days, one is a quote from Andrew Marr, uh, who said something on LBC Radio, and he said Boris Johnson doesn't seem to go away. Why is it that I think of him more than I think about my wife? Um, <laughs> and, I feel like and, that's a question you can only answer yourself, mate. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, that's the same question Boris Johnson asks himself. Um, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's been playing. I think yeah, lost in translation, Indians are not able to tell whether that's funny or accurate. So I think that. And the other one that's been playing on TV a lot is a quote from an MP called Tim Loughton. And his quote was, my hope uh, for the future of Boris Johnson is that he will shut up and go away, uh, <laughs> which which is often what audiences in Edinburgh have told me. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, also, I mean, hoping that Boris Johnson shuts up and goes away, that, I mean, it's good to set yourself achievable goals, and that is I mean, that's sort of like hoping that, you know... A, a shark wins Wimbledon. It's it's <laughs> unlikely, it's logistically problematic, and if it does happen, questions will have to be asked. Well, I mean, if it does happen, the shark won't be able to stop long enough to receive its trophy. 
Well, I guess not. Sharks can't stop. But, but basically, I think one of the in- most interesting features of this quitting is that uh, it's being seen as, or it's being characterized as mutinous that his ex colleagues are bad mouthing him after he's gone. Uh, have you have you seen this story, yes. Andy? Yeah. Look, I, I don't know. If I were a Tory, I wouldn't be a Tory. But if I were a Tory, I'd quit being a Tory. But if I were a Tory. <laughs> I'd be relieved Johnson were gone. Like, it's not mutiny to badmouth your bad boss after he's been fired from his job and then quit his other job and is now living in a mansion in the countryside with tens of bedrooms, presumably to house the many, many more children he intends to have but not count. Like, it's not like badmouthing your ex-husband in front of the kids when you have to share custody. We're, we're in a Yelp culture. Johnson is lucky they're not leaving Airbnb-style reviews, you know, wasn't informed that the facade concealed toxic damp problems, arrived to find the toilet full of poo, open brackets, not even human exclamation mark close brackets noise pollution and bad communication from the host one star <laughs> um, um I, just a quick question okay. i've asked this before andy alice yeah. uh, because i think boris johnson often has referred to himself as churchillian yes. he said he compares himself to winston churchill now it is true winston churchill lost elections and then he went off to write a tome he wrote history of the world i think in, in 10 volumes um uh, I, my question is, let us say if Boris Johnson did gracefully disappear and went off to write a book because he is a giant intellectual, uh, what would it be? Would it be the history of the Peppa Pig world? What What <laughs> is the volume we can expect? Well, um, I mean, he's he has written quite a lot. He's written a book about Churchill. He's, he's supposed to be writing a book about Shakespeare, which got slightly delayed by the fact that he became prime minister. I mean, (laughs) if it's as truthful as his general output, I guess we can (laughs) expect to find that Shakespeare was a third-century Patagonian queen. Um, So, I mean, I I don't know quite what's going to happen there. I mean, he might just carry on resigning from other (laughs) stuff. He could just quit as a member of the human race, quit as from living as a living, breathing warning sign about the dangers of allowing your democracy to rot itself from the inside. Because that's the only thing he, he that he's really good at now is complaining about being forced to resign. Um, that That's that's all he's got. I mean, it's his, now that he's no longer in power, he has to find creative ways of undermining democracy and basically <laughs> slamming a, a, a report before it's even come out. Uh, that's the main club in his bag now. But again, being forced to resign is such a, a, a disingenuous way of, of yes. talking about this. Like, you're not forced to resign if you get fired for wanking into the popcorn at the cinema. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should say the report has not come out, so we don't know that he definitely did that, Alice. So let me just cover our backs legally. And also depends on the cinema. I mean, I've been to some cinemas here. It's very, you know, certain things are allowed in certain Family countries. Show, I'm, Anuvel, honestly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, also, just a quick question. There seems to be now some brewing discontent between uh, your current Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, and Boris Johnson. They, yes. they seem to have been friends and cordial throughout all of this till now. Uh, not entirely uh, cordial. There's been a certain amount of tension. And th- the current tension is that we have this strange uh, tradition here mm. uh, that uh, departing Prime Ministers can uh, issue an, an honours list, people to be given national honours, like OBCBs, and to be appointed to the House of Lords. Now, you might ask, why is it that a Prime Minister is allowed to appoint people to sit, and I don't know how to put this delicately, in f***ing Parliament for f***ing ever um, <laughs> in a democratic country? Uh, and I mean, that's the kind of question that you you can't really answer. I mean, you, you don't need to ask a constitutional expert. You don't need to ask a democratician, a parliamentarologist, or a political connoisseur. You will get as logical and valid an answer if you ask a bucket of eels, <laughs> a puddle of shit, or indeed a former prime minister. It's one of the many ways in which we like to preserve our democracy undermining heritage, uh, as I said. And we, passed, we of course, passed on these innate nation-shaping skills to some of our imperial-era foster countries, like the USA, with its presidential pardons and so on. But some of Boris Johnson's proposed... Um, honorees, is that the term, have been rejected by the committee that oversees uh, these things. And now bearing in mind that currently in the House of Lords, we already have 
Alongside um, occasional useful experts, uh, we have time servers, career lickspittles, convicts, bribers, also known as party funders, highly questionable plutocrats, hereditary embarrassments, bishops, knights, rooks, and political pawns. To be rejected from entry to the House of Lords, that... I mean, that is a low bar that you failed to get over. Well, yeah, g- given that the original qualification for being in the House of Lords was to not have a chin and to have a cousin for a mother. <laughs> yes. So, uh, uh, yeah, so there is some, um, yes, bad blood between Johnson and Sunak over uh, the fact that Johnson is trying to get some of his uh, his cronies permanently baked into the heart of our democracy. But as I said... When it comes to our own democracy, we are complete f***ing idiots. Well, it seems like, um, I just read something Prishi Sunak today, where he said that there were a lot of not qualified people, like you guys are describing, presented for the House of Lords. You know, for example, I was surprised to see my name on that list. <laughs> and, and and I don't even live there. So he said that, Rishi Sunak said he wasn't prepared to to do that. Boris Johnson had given him this list and he wasn't prepared to approve it verbatim. And I don't know about you guys, but for the first time after all these years, I actually heard Rishi Sunak say an actual thing <laughs> that didn't sound like it was generated by a male Amazon Alexa. <laughs> it sounded like a, a, a thing. And uh, I guess there's a rebuttal from Boris Johnson saying Rishi Sunak is talking rubbish. So this is, this. Will, do you think this will get to hand-to-hand combat? Where do you think this is going to go? Well, I think... I think most people in the Conservative Party would like to see that, uh, whatever side they're on, uh, maybe uh, jousting um, to decide their their forever leader. Um, I mean, it's a bit rich coming from Sunak, bearing in mind that he has Suella Braverman in Cabinet as Home Secretary. (laughs) So when he's lecturing you about appointing unsuitable people to public office, and well, you either need to take it with a a salt mine of salt or you need to take a long, hard bath with yourself, ideally both simultaneously. Speaking of hard baths, Andy, the water here is so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you were complaining before. It's it's playing havoc with your hair, you say. Yeah, yeah, I feel like every time I come to the UK, there's like a month of transition period where my my curly hair just goes, what are you doing? Why is there (laughs) minerals in the water? Right. I've yeah. had that for 48 years. Um. <laughs> Speaking of Swella Breverman, I have a quick question. Again, I have a lot of questions being sort of from another culture. What exactly <laughs> is a wokarati? I'm not sure oh, what. Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, a wokarati, I think it was some ancient uh, martial art, wasn't it? <laughs> the wokera and the wokarati were the, the grandmasters of, of wokera. Um I'm. I'm not sure. It also, there's suggestions that it is some kind of uh, crossbreed uh, animal between yeah. a, um, a a Wookiee and. Yeah, I've a seen okay. this creature. Yeah, it eats a lot of tofu. I've seen or, this creature. Also, or someone who lives simultaneously in the United Arab, Arab Emirates and the uh, Surrey town of Woking. Um, so <laughs> the Wokerati. We don't know. We 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 just don't know. <laughs> Uh, I should say, as I said, the the report into Johnson hasn't been published yet. He resigned having been shown the report and uh, (laughs) realising that it wasn't so much jumped before he was pushed, but pushed himself um, because he was being pushed by himself um, and his own actions. His own actions basically pushed him. But we don't know what it will actually say, and it is possible that it will reveal that Johnson did absolutely nothing wrong legally or morally. It may equally reveal that all of the Rolling Stones' 50 greatest hits were written by Martina Navratilova and featured <laughs> London Zoo's Keith the Flatulent Porcupine on backing, backing vocals. It may reveal that Britain has been invaded by opera-loving aliens who are about to install a reanimated Pavarotti as emperor with 19th-century warble star Jenny Lind as his empress. It may reveal that former Prime Minister Liz Truss is set to join Harry Styles, Joni Mitchell, George W. Bush, Jermaine Gere and Kermit the Frog as lead singer in a new supergroup called Cock Chafers of the Grumble Pit. All of these are equally possible as finding out that Johnson did nothing wrong. We just don't know. We will have to wait to find out. I just don't think we're considering one of the possible scenarios, okay. which is that they handed him this report. He went, aha, exonerated on all fronts. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Moving across the Atlantic to another political horn dog, and obviously even the worst Borussian Johnsonings that we can muster in the UK are as a mosquito in the pyjama trousers compared to the crocodile in the underpants that is eating away at American democracy. Donald Trump 
uh, is, well, he's still favourite to get the Republican nomination for uh, <laughs> next year's presidential election, despite the unending slew of court cases, in- including uh, allegations that he kept nuclear secrets in his bathroom amongst the various confidential documents that he was not supposed to have that ended up in his uh, in his uh, nuclear secrets in his bathroom, sheaves and sheaves of other classified documents in his... And that conjures up perhaps the most unsettling image in American history. Uh, Boris Johnson sitting in his bathroom uh, with, with nuclear... Let, let's, not, let's not think about... Uh, let's not think about that. Um, I mean, to be honest, it wouldn't be entirely surprising if they found an actual nuke in his living room, perhaps as a conversation starting coffee table or an obstacle on his golf course, perhaps even as a piece of equipment in one of his dungeons. <laughs> Who knows? It wouldn't be surprising if they found the nuclear football in his memorabilia cupboard alongside the desk from the Oval Office, an original and now soiled copy of the US Constitution with multiple unsettling stains, a sex doll that looks eerily like his own daughter, Rudy Giuliani, and various former Miss Worlds. I mean, there's nothing that can surprise in terms of what he's pilfered from from uh, the American people and state. Well, I think nobody is surprised, but I think people are maybe shocked by uh, the maybe the blatantness of this this whole thing. He was sort of it wasn't just that he had the documents and forgot about them; he was hustling them around and hiding them from people in various really bad hiding places as well, in, in a ballroom, in a bathroom, uh, in order to sort of uh, keep them for himself. Some odd. Uh, thing and then he was talking uh, he did this on the record in an interview he shared unauthorized information uh, about his desire when he was a president to attack a certain country and he he had a, this conversation with a writer and it's on the record he said look look what i found this was um the senior military officials plan of attack read it and it's interesting i could have declassified it he said now i can't you know but it's still a secret <laughs> I just, I, I, as a lawyer, as an ex-lawyer, I have to admire somebody who just covers every angle of a crime and confesses it to to it in writing in like <laughs> two sentences. Extraordinary efficiency of words. Truly, uh, a, 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 a poet of self-incrimination. Uh, I just, it, uh, genuinely, and like, it's an achievement to do that much to damage your own defense in so short a time. <laughs> That's absolutely true, and also I think you know. It's uh, it definitely breaks ground in home decor. You know, if you're doing up your Mar-a-Lago house, you've just retired as president. You've got your Dickens, you know, you've got you know your collection of great American writers. Then you have all the countries you want to bomb, and you have <laughs> a classified document in each of them. You know, I th- I think it's n- not very many people can boast off that bookshelf. And also, if you're a visiting world leader doing business with Trump, many years post his presidency, you go to the toilet. You know, just right under the Vogue or the Architecture Digest is a little <laughs> document about how he's going to take you out. Again, you know, it's a good thing to keep around the house. Not all of us have that privilege. I guess not. Yeah, and I mean, you say a, li- a list of countries that he want he wanted to 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 drop nuclear bombs on. Uh, I think that's just a world atlas. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, there are rumours that he he also had the actual big red button uh, that presidents uh, are known. To, to have in, and that he took it from the White House when he left, but had written the words "pull my finger on it" in marker pen. <laughs> I don't know. Normally, when there's nuclear secrets in my bathroom, Andy, it's just because I ate too much hummus. <laughs> and even oh, then, yeah. I have the I have the like dignity to deny it. <laughs> <laughs> In other American news, Republican Senator Tom Tillis has been reprimanded by his party. Now, why might a Republican be reprimanded, you might think? Why might a political figure be reprimanded for some kind of wrongdoing, corruption, for stealing funds or stealing secret documents? Uh, No, in this case, he's been reprimanded for supporting LGBTQ rights and advocating gun control. And he's been reprimanded... (laughs) as a result, uh, in North Carolina, because of these. So essentially what the Republicans are saying is they are against human happiness and all life unless it's still in the womb. Now, that might (laughs) not sound like a vote winner, but this is America we're talking about, and Republicans are staunchly sticking to their principles of trying to make as many people 
as f***ing miserable as possible and helping uh, Americans achieve their Second Amendment dream of being shot dead while going about their daily business. I mean, this this really kind of shows, I think, where the Republicans are now, that supporting human rights and wanting fewer people to die is no longer acceptable. And, and by a broad majority, there's about a thousand senators yeah. voted to to condemn him. Although it's not like universal, there's a few people who've made you know I think quite good points of like you know why are we attacking our own? Although State Senator Jim Bergen said, I don't think we need to be attacking our own. You don't shoot our own. Ele- you don't shoot your own elephants, <laughs> uh, which says to me. How many elephants do you have? <laughs> that this is a saying. Yes. Well, I mean, it also it does highlight the Republican attitude, doesn't it? Because a normal human being might think, well, just don't shoot any elephants these days. We know, we know that now. But the Republican thinks we're not going to win an election without offering people ivory cudgels to whack each other with. In a country that supports freedom, that's meant the whole thing is meant to be freedom, sort of for good or ill. It's important to move in ideological lockstep with your political affiliates, right? That's- yes. Yeah. Well, because also, I mean, I guess you've got to protect the freedom to stop other people having freedoms. I mean, that's is that not the ultimate form of freedom itself? In other Trump news, Trump has been criticised by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's production company after he used audio from their recent film Air, uh, which tells the story of the creation of the Nike Air sports shoe. Um, and the role of Michael Jordan uh, in that. And Trump's used it in a campaign video. Um, I mean, you, I guess you do have to ask, if Donald Trump can't steal audio from a film involving Matt Damon, what is he going to be able to steal? Uh, I mean, he's very unlucky that Damon could remember the film. It was one of six that he filmed on the 12th of July last year, post-lunch, and it's his, I think, 500th film of the decade so far. Um, so he's a bit unlucky in that. And also, I mean... Yeah, you're complaining about him nicking audio from a film. He's stolen nuclear secrets. I mean, lines from a film is not going to waggle the needle on his completely non-existent moral compass, is it? Well, you know, I have a slight screenwriting issue here, Andrew, okay, right, Alice. Yes. Um, you know, I, I saw the film a couple of days ago. Now, their issue is with the monologue that Matt Damon's character, Sony Vaccaro, has just when they're about to sign Michael Jordan. So Michael Jordan has a choice between a number of shoe companies and Nike is the worst chance of getting him. And then Matt Damon comes out with this great speech. And the speech is about how Michael Jordan is going to change the world. He can't even foresee the things he's done yet, etc. And it ends with this line, a shoe is just a shoe unless someone steps in it. Right now, Donald Trump uses this entire speech out of context <laughs> to talk about how unfair his indictment is. <laughs> right. Now, in screenwriting terms, that's like me using Jack Nicholson's you can't handle the truth speech every time I take a shit. You know, it just, (laughs) there's got to be a context in some screenwriting terms to use something. I mean, Um, not to shoot the elephant that's on my side here either, (laughs) but um, a shoe is just a shoe until somebody steps into it. It's still a shoe once somebody's stepped into it. (laughs) I mean, arguably, it's just a foot-shaped box until somebody steps into it. And this is what I'm realizing, Alice. There's a screenwriting strike, and I think you can fill an important gap here <laughs> in Hollywood with this sort of thing. Um, and I don't know how it works in, in his in, indictment. I mean, of course, it works for Michael Jordan because he changes the future of the Nike Air shoe and the world and everything else. I don't quite, I mean, what's the context of a man who's going to go to jail for selling secrets? (laughs) Are are these shoes of corruption? I don't know what shoes these are. Uh, Well, I guess, yeah, they are big shoes to fill with confidential documents uh, before you ferret them out of the the White House. (laughs) Uh, Moving on now to the horned dog that has sadly barked his last uh, Silvio Berlusconi, um, I don't know if I pronounced that right, has gone, as I said, to the great Bunga Bunga party in the sky. Maybe proof of the existence of gods, uh, or at least the type of god we see in Renaissance paintings with angels frolicking on the clouds, because we have had entirely cloudless skies in London since Berlusconi died, which makes me think that the angels have f***ed right off so they don't have to deal with Silvio turning up and trying to grope them on the arse. Uh, I mean, if there is an afterlife, the women in it are being quietly warned about the new arrival. Um, and, I mean, 
Well, this guy was a man who featured a lot in the early years of the Bugle. Um, he was, uh, I think it was 2011 that he was last Prime Minister of Italy. He's been a man who's been involved in more corruption scandals than I've had hot dinners, and I'm averaging close to four hot dinners a day. And a man to whom a sex scandal is like a 50-mile bike ride is to producer Chris, uh, even when he's not actually doing one, he's thinking about his next one, and age and injury uh, cannot stop him from doing it. Um, uh, is a man who saw his ancient Roman predecessor Caligula, not as a warning from history, but as a life coach, spiritual guru, and inspiration. And in this age of the strangely orange political leader and the media celebrity-turned-flesh-eating national parasite, Berlusconi was very much a trailblazer. He catapulted himself from football club owner to, and media mogul to straddle that always gossamer fine line between leader of a country and liar, thief, and lecherous sex pest. Um, it's... Quite the legacy that Berlusconi has left, both in Italy, where his uh, his political right wingery uh, lives on, and in the global trend for people like him to become national leaders. Uh, how will you both re remember Silvio? I mean, how can you forget the leathery sex pest and human incarnation of the abstract, if slightly greasy concept of sleaze? Silvio Berlusconi will leave an odd-shaped and indelible mark in all of our hearts. He, I think, the thing that strikes me uh, so much about him was, uh, you know, just the, he was such an iconic figure. You know, his complexion was unusual in that it was sort of an unheimlich combination of surgeon's art, makeup, drug use, and sun exposure. And when he <laughs> smiled, you know, it looked like you were finding a face in a tree. I don't know whose teeth he had, and I'd like to believe, though I can't be sure, that neither did he. <laughs> <laughs> A political giant in the landscape of Italy's politics, which historically has included a lot of grifters and maniacs. Uh, he's, he's going to leave a mark on Italy's collective memory somewhere between Emperor Nero and the horse he made a senator. And he's going to be remembered fondly by all of his kind of political colleagues and 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 all over the world. He's been getting these tributes coming in, variously ambivalent and carefully worded <laughs> tributes uh, from Vladimir Putin. Uh, called him a true friend and said he admired Berlusconi's wisdom and ability to make balanced, far-sighted decisions. Uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, uh, the French president Emmanuel Macron described Berlusconi as a major figure in contemporary Italy at the forefront of the political scene for many years from his first election as a member of parliament in 1994 to the senatorial mandate he held until his final days, which is as neutral a tribute <laughs> as you possibly like. It's it's essentially running Berlusconi's Wikipedia entry through ChatGPT. <laughs> I like a comment from his uh, first ex-wife. Um, I'm going to mispronounce her name. I think it's Carla Dalolio. And uh, when news came, she said, what did you think about your married years? And he said, well, he was here sometimes. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> so few of us can talk about marriage so fondly. Um, <laughs> uh, we will have uh, more on Silvio at the at the end of, of the show. Uh, another figure from the... Uh, Past years of the Bugle also died this week. The Iron Shake, the former professional wrestler and grandmaster of the insultative tweet, also popped his clogs uh, this week and will no doubt be calling Silvio a f***ing jabroni as we speak. Um, <laughs> uh, and, I mean, his Twitter account became rather legendary. Whether or not he actually wrote it himself or not seems to be slightly disputed. But there's a pinned tweet left, even as he has, has left the mortal realm. There is still a tweet pinned at the top of his Twitter feed that I think sums up what, what the Iron Shake was to humanity. It simply says, take a minute of your day to be nice to someone, you dumb son of a bitch. And, <laughs> I mean, in many ways, those words encapsulate everything about humanity in the third millennium so far. It's perfect. Well, is it extraordinary? Is an extraordinary figure, sort of a divisive person, playing this kind of uh, caricature of, of Arab uh, nastiness at the same time as you know providing a recognisable figure for people who might not otherwise encounter any Arab stereotypes. Um, I, I, it's such an extraordinary role that he played, uh, both in the WWE and in the broader American political landscape, that it, it feels it feels weird because you don't know what kind of a person he actually was. Sometimes I think when I looked at the Iron Sheikh, I wondered whether, you know, the current regime in Saudi Arabia, you know, like one, the Iron Sheikh has nothing on the current regime in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> you know, like they're far more menacing. I mean, no matter what the Iron Sheikh does, I think the real sheikhs are still winning in the wrestling arena. <laughs> I mean, in many ways, uh, I think you, could, you can see the influence of 
of you know, TV wrestling, um, which you know was previously viewed as rather over the top and contrived, and essentially that is what that is what mainstream politics has now become. Um, so yeah, I guess in, in many ways he's a figure that straddles different eras of human civilization. Uh, we will play you out at the end of this week's episode with some excerpts uh, of Berlusconi and the Iron Shake from Bugles Long Past. We will end this week's Bugle there. As I said, we will play you out now with some classic excerpts from the Bugle archives dealing with Silvio Berlusconi and the Iron Shake, uh, <laughs> who have both uh, departed this planet for whatever comes next. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Alice, anything to plug? So I just want to say, if you're going to have an iron shake, you also want to have some vitamin C shake <laughs> so that you can absorb it better. Um, I um, uh, I have a podcast called The Gargle, which is the glossy magazine to the Bugles audio newspaper for a visual world that goes out weekly. Also, uh, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. I have weekly writers meetings if you want to come and write with me. And we also have a workshop afterwards. And that's available for everyone who signs up to the Patreon at patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. And you are doing the Edinburgh Festival this year? I am doing the Edinburgh Festival. My show is called Twist. If you're in Edinburgh, come see it. It's at the Underbelly Bristow Square, and it's like sometime in the evening, you know. Anivab, <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you doing Edinburgh this year? Uh, just for two weeks, Andy. Yeah. I am at the Assembly last two weeks of Edinburgh, 14 to 28th. And uh, I think I mentioned this once before. I'm not doing comedy this year. I'm coming as a representative of a new department in the British Foreign Service called the Department of Britishness. And uh, <laughs> I've been hired to spread Britishness in India, uh, which seems to be losing its value. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not just India that's happening, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, you can listen to me um, talking about cricket for uh, a potential 25 days in the next six weeks as the ashes uh, begins. Uh, there is no unbelievable ashes this year because uh, Felicity Ward is busy uh, filming some stuff in Australia. However, there will be a daily Bugle Ashes Zoltz cast with <laughs> the stats of the day and um, assorted other uh, uh, purely truthful nonsense um, that will be available via the internet in an exciting new addition to the Bugle stable. Uh, as a result of the cricket, uh, we are having a week off next week. We will be back in two weeks uh, to go through until our summer break in August. We will now play you out with some classic archival bugle about Silvio Berlusconi and the Iron Shake. Goodbye. My favourite somersault this week came from Silvio Berlusconi, Andy, Prime Minister of Italy and career criminal. <laughs> Never let who, you down. <laughs> who described Obama after his victory as young, handsome and even tanned. Oh, Silvio. Whether that was an opinion or a joke, either of them would be from the 1950s. <laughs> well, you can always rely on Berlusconi to come up with the goods. I mean, that's what you want in Italian politics, John. I mean, you can't make jokes about the lira anymore, and we all miss them. No, and they don't sure. change government quite as often as they used to, and it has been a while since their tanks <laughs> only had a reverse gear. But Berlusconi will always be there for us, John. He will always say something genuinely appalling, but at the same time, quite funny. He's uh, He said some amazing things over the years. He suggested that the Chinese used to boil babies under yes. Mao. This uh, caused a bit of a rumpus with the Chinese. Mm. And then Berlusconi clarified his comments by saying that they didn't eat them, they just boiled them in order to use them to fertilise the fields. Also, he told a German member of the European Parliament that he'd be perfect for a film role as a Nazi camp guard. <laughs> also described himself as the Jesus Christ of politics. I'm a patient victim, I put up with everyone, I sacrifice myself for everyone. And he also said, if he was talking about why companies should invest in Italy, he said another reason to invest in Italy is that we have beautiful secretaries. Oh, God. <laughs> he's the worst human being in the world. Yeah, but he's great value for the neutral spectator. There have been some admirable and unusual protests from members of 51% of the world's population this week. The wife of Silvio Berlusconi. Poor woman, Andy. <laughs> well, John, poor woman, yes, but... Not only is she his wife, but she's still his wife. 
So That's true. you can kind of understand her marrying him by mistake. But she stayed married to him. Silvio Berlusconi, Italian Prime Minister and spectacular crook, has... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> has had, well, has is, had, is that going? Is that staying in? That's it's got. It's that is legally rock solid. <laughs> it's a fact. That is a legal fact. It is a fact. He is shaped like a shepherd's crook. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> his wife has criticised he and his party's plan to field attractive young women as European election candidates. <laughs> Other awkward relationship news now. And uh, Andy, never mind Nick Clegg and David Cameron being thrust together. Bugle favourite Silvio Berlusconi has, well, I mean, he's been quiet by his standards recently, Andy. Not not getting hit in the face with uh, any more <laughs> miniature cathedrals, nor sleeping with any more teenage models who he momentarily and repeatedly mistook for his wife. <laughs> uh, perhaps it was little uh, snafus like that that uh, have caused him getting divorced. Uh, now, Berlusconi's wealth uh, was estimated by Forbes uh, at $6.5 billion in March, putting him at number 70 in the rankings of the world's billionaires. Pretty good. His taxable earnings in 2007, uh, to that taxable earnings... <laughs> this to, is hypothetical, of course. That's right. Total to 14.5 million euros. Still actually a huge drop on the 139 million euros he declared in 2006, but, uh, you know, that is also just what he declared, because, as I think we both know deep down, all of us know, you, you have to understand that paying tax for Berlusconi is like bungee jumping. He can understand in theory why people do it, it's just not something he can ever see himself personally being interested in trying. <laughs> Berlusconi's architect apparently said there are two philosophies of restoration. One is just to clean the work and leave it as it is. The other involves making the work whole again without damaging it to provide an image of the work as it was originally conceived. Well, that sounds great in theory, Andy. I just don't know exactly where a detachable magnetic penis fits into that philosophy. <laughs> Next week, Berlusconi attaches detachable magnetic massive tits to the Venus de Milo. Silvio <laughs> Berlusconi news now, and, well, he's been charged since we last did a bugle. He's been officially charged with uh, being very, very naughty indeed. He's, <laughs> yeah. uh, but this is the latest in his spectacular 17 years in and out of power allegations of wild sex parties, prostitution, bribery, tax evasion, corruption, and much, much more. And yet, the polls show that his public approval rating is still high, and if an election were to be held tomorrow, he would win it. Amazing. What do these people want, John? Amazing. Um, the thing is, uh, prostitution, he's been uh, accused of paying for sex with a 17-year-old Moroccan exotic dancer. He's called mm -hmm. the charges groundless. Uh, and the thing is, uh, prostitution is not illegal in Italy, and the age of consent is 14, but a prostitute must be 18 or older. So in Berlusconi's defence, he might be a 75-year-old man banging a 17-year-old, but legally, it's just a technicality. <laughs> Leave the man alone, let him live his own life. Strap in, Googlers. <laughs> Tweet number one. IOC, I you up. No disrespect to the legend my only sport wrestling. <laughs> they have no dick. They make new sport of go f*** yourself. <laughs> right. Strong tweet. <laughs> Straight out of the gate there, Andy. That's what the format was invented for, that kind of concise expressing of opinion. No, you would think he would then put his computer or phone down and think that I did that was perfect. <laughs> well, I just communicated everything I needed to say about this thing that's upset me. But you know what? Then he picked it up again and he typed this. Tweet two. You see the legend. You know I break the ICO back, make them humble. Go f*** the badminton and the walking. They are not sports like wrestling. The Very ICO. But I think he's clearly typed these in something of a rage, John. Well, <laughs> that's right. That's not, that's not a problem. Tweet number three. New Olympic sport is who has smaller dick than Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Hashtag save Olympic wrestling. I don't know well, what he's trying honest, to say there. That, that would get quite big TV viewing figures. <laughs> and it's also definitely something that Britain would have a, a live medal, medal chance in. <laughs> uh, other tweets he sent were, Good night, and IOC go f*** 
yourself. Don't ever insult the legend Iron Sheik or I break the Olympics back and make you humble. I tell you one thing he also hates, Andy, and that is punctuation. <laughs> uh, the Iron Sheik did not just save uh, this the email goes on to say the Iron Sheik did not just save his weird brand of vitriol for Twitter either, offering up the following quotes in an interview with TMZ. After a thousand years, they take away the best sport in the world. This is the first time the dumb mother. Have no balls, for they make the walking an Olympic sport. <laughs> he really a, hates walking. He really hates walking. He really does. <laughs> if I see any, if I see anybody on the street that work from the IOC, I swear to Jesus that I suplex them, <laughs> put them in camel clutch, break their back, make them humble. <laughs> and finally, is that really humility? Has, having a broken the, back. The hashtag, the hashtag Team Sheiky, respect the Olympics now. They can all go f*** themselves and make the curling Olympic sport. That's the Winter Olympics, but you don't want to argue with him when he's this angry. Because they also the biggest piece of no good shit, and I never watch the Olympics again. Also, also buy my T-shirt on my website or go f*** yourself. <laughs> buy my T-shirt or go f*** yourself. Like, if you had any balls, that would be your slogan. <laughs> Buy my t-shirt or go f*** yourself. That it. It just distills marketing down to its that's elemental what, forms. He's run that through a focus group, John. Oh, yeah. God, that's Can, good. This guy's not to be trusted, though, because after he was the Iron Sheik... Uh, where, because like, that was when America oh. had a problem with Iran in the 80s. Yeah. Then when the War of Iraq happened, he mm-hmm. renamed himself Colonel Mustafa and oh, teamed yeah. up with Sergeant Slaughter and said he was it's from true. Iraq. Yeah. Really? <laughs> so so, so th- this, this guy is, is not to be trusted. He's a cheat. Chris, Chris, I would say everything we've learned over the last few minutes, I would be very, very careful irritating <laughs> the IG. <laughs> Otherwise, you're about I, to get. I'm going to buy one of the t shirts just to protect us. <laughs> <laughs> He posted the following tweets, message on Twitter, saying something like, Chris, I break your back, go f*** yourself. Triathlon, not sports. <laughs> ICO, mother f- Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs> 